Hello, folks, and welcome to the TKW Podcast. I am Matt Spendley, and I'm joined today by Kyle Maggio. What's going on, buddy? Sunday Coffee Pod. This is what it's all about. Pre-football, talking Knicks, talking the departure of one Joe Kim Noah. Joe Kim Noah is no longer a Nick. The long-awaited news finally dropped yesterday afternoon by Woj. The Knicks electing to wave and stretch Noah, meaning that his cap hit is going to continue up until the 2021 season. 2020-21 season. That's really weird to say. You ever tried saying that out loud? I don't think I ever want to say it out loud again. That's so strange. Yeah, it's a lot going on there. That was really weird to have to listen to. (laughs) It was weirder to say if it makes you feel any better. But yeah, so his number is going to go until that season, which means that the Knicks... If they elect to go certain directions, we'll have max cap space come the summertime. So, reactions from the Joakim Noah waving, glad it's over, but what are your initial implications, do you think, for the Knicks from this decision? I, I It seems like it was so clearly the wrong decision to make from an outsider's perspective, like, it just seemed like a really easy thing for us all summer, like we did, say, why wouldn't you just sit on it? Why wouldn't you just eat the contract and, and try to trade him as a expiring asset next year? Like, it seemed really easy for them to do that. But very, very clearly, whether we like to admit it or not, or whether we want to believe it or refute it, something happened. Like, something really happened behind the scenes that we don't know we'll eventually find the details of it now that he's out but something i mean we we knew him and hornacek had a bad issue but i figured well once hornacek's out then we should be kind of good to go i mean this is a new regime i i don't i don't see what the the problem is but he clearly just was so purposely distant from the team now i i just don't know i i just don't know what happened i I, it just had to be so drastic for it to get to this point where they just gave up on it to cut their losses but um, I, I don't know. And a lot of people refuted that yesterday when I tweeted it. But, I mean, something something had to have happened. But um, either way, they, they just bit the bullet and did what we knew they were going to do. It was rumored all summer. And, I mean, he's he's out of their hair. I, what is it, a $6.4 million cap hit for the next three, yep. next three seasons, right? Yeah, so it's through – you have – uh, Noah this year making you know whatever and then yeah it goes through the next three that's the 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 wave and stretch it's a bit of a weird little thing in the CBA but yeah yeah I mean it, it is it is it looks stupid from the outsider's perspective it does but either way uh, it's gone it, it it clears up some room for uh, next summer which they figured to think um, they, they keep speaking about it being a pretty big year for them. To, to start to either land uh, the big fish or try to attract a big fish the following summer after that. So um, I, I, don't, I don't, the whole thing's very confusing to me because I thought he could have been really beneficial to a guy like Mitchell Robinson or just some of the other younger guys on the team. We know what kind of a vet he was before coming to New York when he was with Chicago. It just seemed like that was a guy you'd want to have a, you know around to, to, to mentor and it just didn't, it just didn't work out. I, I don't, 
I, I don't know that I have a ton else to say about it because it's just a, a shitty situation. You know, I, I always wanted to root for Joe Kim. I always wanted to do well here, wanted to stay healthy. Um, we knew when he was healthy what he was capable of doing, which was be uh, a menace defensively, and he had some uh, really nice passing chops on offensive, uh, on the offense. So um, it's just a, a really sad situation, but we knew the contract was bad when he signed it. And if they're just going to cut their losses so that we can try to move forward and make some moves next summer, and, you know, it's, it's a little bit of an added hurdle now with the stretch, but uh, it, it is what it is. I guess we just had to move on. And I know you're a big Joe Kim fan, so I, I think that it, it might even be a little sadder for you than others because I think he's a player that you really enjoyed before he came to New York, and all of a sudden he is the worst acquisition in the history of the franchise and is a black mark on the team the team's history forever basically yeah and i mean it's twofold because i I did like him but i was always very objective about it It was a bad deal but i understood why they signed him when they signed him because it it, it aged really really quickly because of what ended up happening after yeah i mean they they traded for him and then got uh, not traded they signed him and then traded for derrick rose right they were giving Carmelo kind of a they had kp in the fold for a second year they were kind of giving Melo like one last stand to like they were gambling, basically, that Noah could stay healthy, be most of his former self. Rose would stay healthy, be uh, most of his former self. And KP would continue to, uh, to develop. And, you know, that that was a nice little team. And then they signed Courtney Lee that same summer. So it seemed like there was an emphasis, that, you know, on, on some sort of a defensive presence to some degree. Like, they, they tried to go out and fix their weaknesses. They got Noah. They, they got Lee. Um, you know. It, it just seemed like they finally got the point guard that could penetrate that eluded us forever, even though it was Derrick Rose and that went about as well as you could expect. So I like I understood it, even if I didn't like the moves, like I, I saw where the logic was. Like, I know Phil gets roasted for it and, and rightfully, but I at least understood it. It wasn't like a nonsensical, aimless plan. Like I saw what they were trying to do. It just it was bad and it didn't work. And then after that, they moved on from Carmelo. Rose walked and then suddenly it was KP's team. And it's like, well, what are we doing with Joe Kim Noah now? And then, you know, whatever, they trotted him out there, but then he got he had uh, the suspension, and he was injured, and then the thing happens with Hornacek, and then the whole thing just implodes, like, a year and a half into this four-year deal, and it was like, yeah, I mean, it, clearly he, he already wasn't on the right timeline anymore. So it's like what they signed him to do, basically, with that makeup of the team, was gone immediately after that first year, and then... It just did a, uh, didn't get any better from there on out, and the entire roster structure changed, and here we are. So it's just it's just stinky. It's just a really stinky situation. It almost feels like a dream that he was ever a Nick. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't even feel like it was based in this reality because it was so long ago where he was actually supposed to be a meaningful member of this basketball team. It's wild to think about. It, it really is. I mean, I don't, I don't know if you care to even touch on where you think he might go, but... I do not. I, yeah, I don't. I don't really either. <laughs> I, I think he's honestly going to end up with it, like the Warriors, like some veterans minimum. Because oh, I mean, that he would, would. That would be so annoying if he actually like played basketball for the Warriors. Because he, 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 he I, would, I would be so annoyed. He, you know what's going to happen is he's going to he's going to play for the Warriors and he's going to play well. Like oh, I would throw up everywhere. The I mean, he's going through my television when that happens. I'm, if you think about it, it's really. A, a beautiful fit if you were to end up there it is because if he's healthy. because you already you already have demarcus cousins rehabbing right you, you you they always need that big they they rotate that in and out so he just seems like the logical next guy to rotate in there that vet and then he, i mean they they got by with his how's that fucking patchouli i think with 
Joakim Noah being able to fucking pass from that position, I think that would be a thing that would work for them. But You're alas, disgusting for bringing this up. You, you disgusting. Uh, I'm, right. I'm so sorry. Uh, one thing I want to make clear on on the sentimentality side before we talk about one more thing as in terms of the Knicks uh, the Knicks cap situation, but I think that you have specifically said this in the past, and it's something we've mentioned. We we don't really blame Joakim Noah at all. You can't harbor any resentment towards the dude because despite his struggles and obviously Hornacek with that whole confrontation, but the dude got all for the bag and he took it. I don't blame him for not wanting to give any money back. It took that long because he didn't want to. And in the end, he had all the leverage. The Knicks wanted him gone so badly that he didn't end up having to give any money back. So you can blame him for maybe being not a great teammate, maybe struggling to just connect with some coaching staffs with the Knicks. And despite saying that he loved being in New York, he really didn't make much of an effort. But we also don't get to see all the inner makings of a locker room. We It could have been much more toxic last year than, than we ever know from the inside. Maybe he just didn't feel like it was ever a place where he could be a part of this team. So I, I don't think we should harbor any resentment for Noah, the person. It's the basketball player. If he ever started to play well again or even play at all, that would be frustrating on my end. I mean, yeah, at the end of the day, it's a workplace. And I lambast a lot of like NBA Twitter for this when they – make fun of guys for not fitting in well when they should or um, not being happy in a situation. But there's a lot that goes into playing in the NBA besides just, oh, I'm good at three-point shooting. I should shoot more threes. Like, There's the on-court dynamic. There's how you actually work with teammates on court, off the court that impacts the on-court play. Um, Just getting along with guys. There's film studies, traveling, uh, practice sessions. I mean, there's just tons that we don't see, tons of communicating, tons of interaction. And at the end of the day, like sometimes you you accept an offer for a job and you hate your job. It it just happens. Even in the NBA, like I understand these guys are making a ton of money and he got his bag and he should have to deal with it. And I do think that that's all valid and fair with how he handled it. But at the end of the day, sometimes guys just make a decision at the time they think is going to work out and then ends up being uh, just a really awful situation workplace-wise for him. So we'll find out whatever, whatever happened, like really happened i'm sure somebody like you know ian begley will give us the details uh, in the next couple of weeks but you know best of luck for him whatever just move on um this was more of a phil jackson thing for me i mean you knew the risks when he signed him 100 so yeah i mean if you if you give me that contract i'm gonna take it whether or not i perform i mean think about him he's a he's a you know a, a guy kind of leaving his prime often injured ton of mileage with thibodeau and he gets a fully guaranteed $72 million deal. Like, yeah, of fucking course he's going to take it. If I had all that, you know, baggage on me too, I would take anything that was fully guaranteed. I mean, right there, I'm set now. I got nothing to worry about. And then, yeah, to your point about the leverage, he had all of it. All of it. They need. They wanted him to show up and be part of the team, and he didn't. And they could do nothing besides this. There was nothing to negotiate. They had zero leverage. They wanted him gone for whatever reasons that we still don't know yep. and that was it so it is what it is he's gone that that debacle is finally over as we can move into the season and thankfully so well one final thing about the noah situation because i know a lot of us had said this is a poor decision from a cap standpoint why don't they just write it out this process took so long and we can't sit here with a straight face and say that we have faith in what mills and perry are doing and also say that they completely botched this situation because they had to have considered all avenues here they they knew this is what i hate too and when people try to bring it up like they didn't know they knew of course they get paid millions of dollars millions of dollars 
to do this job. Like they, and I'm not saying that they're right or wrong because we don't know yet, but they knew they weighed this and they decided that this stretching option was the absolute best way to move forward. So we're going to have to find out why it was before we start passing judgment. And if it seems like a ridiculous reason, once we know the details, then yeah, well, let's have at it. But right now, like to your point, we can't be optimistic and, and tote this new culture and, and, you know, the Knicks are writing the ship and this and that and then go, well, this was a boneheaded decision. Let's just wait. As always, please be objective and just wait. We'll figure it out together. We'll talk about it. But guys, just relax. It just took so long that there's no way they couldn't have considered the downside and said we shouldn't do this. So it, I think it, you need to just consider that from the standpoint that they, they exhausted all options here. And we'll see where we go, like you said. With that being said, as we bid adieu to one Joe Kim Noah, we welcome a new season. So let's give a little brief Knicks-Hawks preview for Wednesday. And let's start out with who you think they start at point guard because we saw a great game from Frank Nielakina in their last contest on Friday. We've seen Trey Burke struggle in the preseason. He hasn't done a ton. He hasn't played many minutes. And we've seen Moutier basically be a bench warmer after playing a lot in the first game and then starting the second game. And since then, he just hasn't received as many minutes. So it's Nielakina or Burke. I think we are pretty much all in lockstep about who they should start on Wednesday. And that is one Frank Nielakina. One thing I do want to bring up before we even get into this is the inevitable responses that we'll have that people don't think Frank is a point guard. You guys got to understand that there are, and I, I was talking uh, talking about this with Reed on the Twitch stream, which guys, if you don't follow us on Twitch, quick plug, go follow us on Twitch. We are starting that up. We have a lot of good ideas. We'll talk about this later on. But one thing I talked about with Reed was there are different types of point guards. There are many different types of point guards. Saying he's not a point guard is a ridiculous statement in and of itself like there are defensive stalwart point guards like a pat beverly who just locks people down and hits open threes right then there are russell westbrook point guards there are steph curry point guards there are chris paul point guards like there are different uh archetypes is archetypes or archetypes 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 okay so (laughs) there's different archetypes to you know molding yourself as a point guard and he's shown that he has playmaking abilities, especially in the pick and roll now. So, you know, we're basically just looking for him to shoot a little bit more. But we, we're starting to see what he could be as as a point guard. So just saying he's not a point guard in, in a really pure and traditional sense is kind of silly to me. There are so many different types, especially in today's NBA. It's a guards league that you, you have to realize and consider that. That being said, I think he he kind of clearly is the point guard like Trey Burke is only good at scoring from inside the arc and really nothing else. He doesn't really pass exceptionally well. He he makes basic reads, which is good. But to me, that has the makings of your bench guard. That's like your bench ball handler. You can come in, you know, he's not going to throw the game away. You know, he can just kind of manage and hold the fort down to me. That's not the starter. The starter needs to move the needle. Like what we saw Frank do against, you know, um, D'Angelo Russell and and sub all star level playing Spencer Dinwiddie was pretty good. I mean he he just rotates really well. He always gets back to his man. He always stifles the drive. You know gets out to the corners on the shooter. Like he's so tremendously impactful on the defensive end. And then he's running the pick and roll with Mitchell Robinson and and catching him on a bounce pass through traffic in the paint. You know he he was driving and spinning to the rim last night. It's like you're starting to see him put it together a little bit. It's still not consistent, but. 
when he's playing well, you you feel and you see the impact. If you're watching basketball, you see it. Whereas Burke, I didn't feel that at all in this preseason, and I'm not really sure I felt it last year either. Like, he had a couple of little outbursts, but outside of that, I mean, there was no, like, end-to-end impact. It was either he was scoring or it, it was a really ugly and brutal game to watch. And I just think that's – you have to kind of lean into what you're seeing from Frank – in my opinion, and I know you feel the same way. So if you want to expand on that a little bit. Yes. Before that, are you ready for my hottest take of the year for the Knicks? I'm ready. I also have a semi-hot one, but continue. All right. I think Trey Burke has a terrible year. I think that he's a nothing guy at the end of the season. I think that they renounce his cap hold and that he's not on the team next year. That's what I, well, think I, do, I, I, I do think he's not going to be on the team next year. I don't know how garbage of – I wouldn't say it's a hot – I mean, it's going to be a hot take. It, I'm making um, it a hot take. That's why I said he's going to be terrible. It, yeah. I, okay, well, what's terrible for, for you? I so mean, we. His I, I know you're on record – yeah, you're on record saying the mid-range is not going to be sustainable. Which so that's, is, that's what I'm saying. So all of a sudden he goes from shooting 50% last year to 40% this year because he's not shooting that mid-range enough. He doesn't transform his shot profile to reflect what he said about shooting three-pointers. And we know he's not a great defender already. So that's do I think that's going to be the case? Probably not. He's probably not going to be that bad. But for the purpose of this, I'm saying he's going to be bad and not someone that the Knicks will have in their long-term future at all. He's just another guy that they have on the team this year. I agree with the latter por- uh, portion of that. I, I think he's going to still have a pretty decent year. I, I do think the efficiency is going to drop off. But um, I, I do believe that latter portion because if, the, if he plays this season like he played – any part of this preseason, then it's a no-brainer. I mean, he just did just did nothing. I mean, he came in, would hit like two or three shots, and then that was it. There was no defense, no real passing chops. Like, that was it. So uh, I agree with you there. My hot take, which isn't even like a scorcher, I think, is because I feel like Frank's going to get the starting job at least to start the year. Um, I think Frank is going to average 10 points per game. I think he's going to double his output from last year. I like it. I think points, huh? I think there's been a lot of talk, and it's not something that Fizdale has hammered home like Kevin Knox and uh, other things of the like, but I think he's been pretty good about and open about saying, you know, Frank needs to be more aggressive. Frank needs to play with, with like an edge, and we've seen Frank kind of go out and do that, and even when he does, it still seems like he's not ready to fully unleash it and I just think in the regular season, if giving the starting opportunity, I think he would show that edge a little bit more. Um, I don't know that he's going to – I'm saying 10 because it's going to double his output and that in it of itself is kind of hot considering what we saw last year. But if he just averages close to 10, I think that's a pretty significant stride that fans could have to bank on. So I I like it. I like, I like saying that. I think that's going to be something that um, we can all look forward to. So 10. He'll be hard-pressed to score 10, but that's why it's a good prediction to make because it's uh, an attainable goal that's within the realm of possibility. Because if he gets like 10 and 5 or 10 and 4 as the starter and he's playing the level of defense that we know he's going to play, like that's that's a really good starter. Like that's great. Like not not, not just second year. Like that's that's really a good starter, a really quality starter. So. I think that's probably going to be a little bit too high, but I, that that would be something that I would really enjoy seeing. Yeah, I mean, I, I think with Frank, I wonder if they're going to end up 
starting him only for the fact that they've used him more off ball even than we've seen in the past in the preseason. So I wonder if they'll resort to using him in other units with another ball handler. And we've seen some of their wing options also handle the ball off of rebounds in transition in the pick and roll. So it's just interesting to see what they have in store for him this year and what Fisdale thinks his destiny is. But it seems like a no-brainer that he should start from day one. I don't think day one of this season, of course. I just don't think that there's another option that makes any sense for this team. The other thing, too, about him playing off ball is I think in starting him, you allow yourself to just keep sliding him over. Like if you start him out as point guard and then bring Birkin off the bench and then slide Frank to the two, then Timmy leaves the game. I love that. It's like it's like you can just keep utilizing him. The thing is then to just lock him into, you know, being the point guard or being off ball. I think you can really utilize him in a bunch of different ways as they should. So that's something to keep an eye on, too, is he's going to play probably close to 30 minutes a night this year if I had to peg it. So why not just... I mean, he, he is a Swiss Army knife. Like, we can argue about him being the point guard or uh, being a wing or off ball, but at the end of the day, like, he does so many... He, he can have the potential to do a lot of things well that it's like you should just keep developing him in all, fa- in all facets. Let him play on ball, off ball, wing, whatever you got to do to get his feet wet in different areas, and I think that's going to benefit him and the team going forward. I agree. And let's move from that into a broad look at the Knicks and Hawks on Wednesday for Frank. So Frank and Trey Young is a fun matchup. What else are you looking for during the first Knicks regular season game of the year? Honestly, just I, I've never I've never been like that uh, nerdy guy on Twitter who's just like, uh, been watching Frank defense highlights. You guys are gonna like you're sleeping on him. He's X amount. You know he does this in uh, is that your this nerdy situation. Guy impression? Yeah, yeah. I was trying to sound like you, but <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh. Yeah, no, I've never been somebody to like talk about that kind of stuff. Like I'll I'll say it to you guys in Slack, but I, I really was just overjoyed watching the clips from his defense against uh, the Nets on Friday. Just it wasn't like he was just doing one thing. Like he was playing great on ball defense, and then when he wasn't, just like perfectly, t- perfectly timed rotations. Um, and not just that, but little things like when um, the one play when he ran out to the shooter on the corner, I forgot who it was, and had he just like backpedaled. To play, you know, to try to defend the drive, he never would have gotten there. So he does his spin, and off of when he does the spin, he like shoots off his back foot and gets right back into position to go alongside this guy and just cut off the drive. Like there was just no angle in, in like two steps from Frank. And then the the offensive player immediately realizing this is flustered and looks to give the ball up, has nowhere to throw it. Hits off the back of another Nets player, balls loose on the ground. Frank still just locked in, dives on the ground. Uh, recovers the ball and then gets a foul drawn. So it was like, I watched that play a few dozen times. And then I also watched the one where uh, he cut off Jerry Dudley from driving and yeah. then picked up the guy he uh, Dudley dished it to. And then he cuts him off too, stifles him, and then another turnover. And it's like, you are directly subtracting points from being scored when you do things like that. And I just could not stop watching those plays to get myself excited and also talk myself into him starting the season. So I'm very much looking forward to him on Trey Young um, to start out the game and all game because I I do think he's going to start this game. And I think that's going to be very exciting. It's going to be an exciting matchup because you have like two polar opposites. You have like the offense only guy in Trey Young who's going to be looking to dazzle and not only his first NBA game, but it's his first game at the Garden. Um. And then you got Frank, who's just looking to shut 
everything down and guard everybody on the other team. So that's really what's going to be exciting for me is just the point guard play. I don't think there's a whole hell of a lot to look uh, forward to otherwise, like matchup wise. But that's what uh, what I'm looking for. What about you? I just blocked you on Twitter for that nerd response, by the way. Just want you it's, to know. Just want the people to know. It's fair. I understand. I knew it was coming. It was time. It's just a matter. It's been a ticking time bomb. <laughs> the Hawks have some really exciting rookies that I'm looking forward to getting to watch because they're not a team that I'm going to spend a lot of time watching this year. From Trey Young, and I love Amari Spellman because I was a big Nova guy. I love Kevin Herter. So, and I've always been a big John Collins guy. In his second year, I think he's he's a menace. He's basically, if you want Mitchell Robinson to actually develop a skill set beyond just being a rim runner, John Collins is a guy to watch and be like, Mitch Robinson could be this person. But John Collins also likes to shoot threes. That's something we haven't seen Robinson do. But I think with this matchup, let's let's boil this down. Let's make it simple. I think it's cool that the Knicks are going to have an opportunity for a team that's going to be bad this year to win their first game of the year at the Garden against another bad team. I think that's nice because we've seen teams that start out against the tough teams, you're you're 0-1 already. You know, it's you want to get these guys off to a nice start. So playing a team like Atlanta, that's obviously going to be a work in progress with a new coach, a new star player that they're featuring in Trey Young, a new offense to to mold around. I think that it's a good opportunity for the Knicks to get a win in their first game. Which is cool. That that's a good thing to have. The Hawks do have a couple wing options that are going to present some challenges. I wonder who Kevin Knox guards if he's guarding the likes of Tareen Prince or if they have him on someone like, you know, Kent Bazemore. We'll see what they decide to do there. But it's it's exciting and it, it's going to be it's going to be a fun game to kick off the year and to get a win. That would just be the best. Are there anything else you're looking for? No, just kind of second your point about starting off this year with the win against this Hawks team. Um, they're going to win games this year, whether we like it or not, about the tank. So I would enjoy very much if they started to build the mindset of what a winning team would do, which is beat the teams you're supposed to beat. So if you're going to be playing shitty teams like the Hawks are, like the Kings are, you know, you should try to win. They're going to win games anyway this year. We should hope that they beat the shitty teams more often than not. Because, I mean, the, the the wins are going to come anyway, and they're also going to be hard to come by in, in total. So uh, get your ass kicked by the good teams and just go out there and try to get your wins against the shitty teams. Don't try to upset these these good teams. That would uh, anger me for the overperformance. But beat up the Hawks. Beat up the Kings. Beat up, you know, the Magic. The, bull, the Magic. Like, just, just keep going to town on these, these bad teams because I feel like that's important too. And we've seen the Knicks uh, of, you know, the last decade or so generally play down to their competition that's that's always kind of been an issue even when uh during the carmelo era when they had decent teams they always just seem to underperform or lose these little trap games so it's like start start to build that identity up you know for the long again everything's the long game with fizzdale hopefully so build that identity a little bit like hey these guys are scrubs like we we gotta go treat them like scrubs and beat them like scrubs so i i agree with you there i hope that they uh they win on wednesday and get this thing going I forgot that John Collins is injured, and I'm immediately less intrigued by this game. It's not going to be. I, I'm telling you, like I'm really tuning in for the point guard matchup. Like, yeah, when, no, I hear you. I agree. Like, there's it's it's that, and then Kevin Knox do stuff. Like that's that that's the that's the game for me in and of itself. So I don't know what else there really is to look forward to. But we know Cantor's going to eat all game. We know Timmy's going to shoot 18 to 20 times. So outside of that, there's just not a, a hell of a lot there. 
season begins. And a new season in which we expect the Knicks to win somewhere in the neighborhood of 23 games. So par for the course, baby. Let's do it. Yep, kicking off another fun and exciting season. Um, so let's just plug last couple of things here, guys. Uh, obviously, just check out all of our great content at the Um, You know, we've done a hell of a job this summer, just making sure we always had something daily for you guys. So that's obviously going to – we're going to up the ante a little bit as the season begins now. Uh, make sure you uh, rate this po- podcast five stars. We need those – five stars all of them all the good reviews so do that for us make sure you uh subscribe to our twitch and youtube channels we're going to put a lot of emphasis on those going forward so make sure you guys subscribe there and tune in when we uh we do little shows and and things like that so uh check out the tkw shop we just had a sale our uh to kick off the regular season everything was 30 percent off um We'll probably have one once a month or so if you missed out. So don't worry about that. But, you know, we're looking to get some more designs in there. But, uh, yeah, that's about it. Anything uh, on your end? No, I think you covered it. That's great. So with that being said, let's welcome on some of our staff writers to give some predictions for the year. All right, we now welcome on TKW staffer Tyler Marco. Tyler, how's it going, man? Hey, guys. How's it doing? It's going well. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. Happy to have you. Always love to have recurring guests on the pod from our staff. When was that? You were on yeah. over the summer, I think, right? Yeah, I mean, was it maybe God, maybe a month or two by now? It was uh, back talking about Mellow. I'm sure people oh were very... Oh, that's right. Very, yeah. That, that was when the, the content as well was just dried up, and we were like, all right, what can we really do to rile people up? <laughs> yep, retire his number. Come on. Let's uh, just do it. <laughs> so we want to talk about the Knicks over-under in this segment. So right now... At Westgate, it's sitting at 27.5. It opened at 29.5, so people are really slamming the under. A a two-win decrease when the roster hasn't really changed is a a pretty stark decrease. So let's start it off first. Just over-under basic. Tyler, where are you going? I'm going just under. Kyle? I'm going under. Okay. I am also going under. Because when we did our season predictions a few days ago, uh, actually, I think it was only Friday. Yeah, so a couple days ago, I said 27 wins. The more I thought about it, I was like, there's no way this team wins 27 games. And 27 would still be the under, to be clear. But yeah, I just I would be shocked at this point if they win 27 games. So, so Kyle, why don't you go first and tell us what your thoughts are on, on why you picked the under. I just this it's not a talented team. I mean, like there's young talent, but that's different from like current winning talent in the NBA, and it's just simply not good. I mean, my roundtable prediction uh, this past week was 25 wins, and I saw because I saw uh, general NBA guys picking the Knicks win totals, and a lot of guys had them. I saw 18 from uh, Matt Moore. Yep. But which I thought I thought that's low, but that's also kind of assessing it as just the roster as is with nothing else. Like I'm trying to give them some sway with. Fisdale perhaps coaching them to a couple of wins, then being scrappy. But I mean, that's to me, that's the window, like twenty to twenty-five. It's just not a good team. Like it's going to be a fun year if that makes sense. But that's because we have no expectations. It's a new system and coach, a bunch of young guys that we like. But it's just not a good team. My logic for why I don't think they would win as little as eighteen is because a team that had Shane Larkin as its leading assist man and Cole Aldrich as his leading rebounder won seventeen. 
is this team that bad? I mean, that's like, that's next level bad. I think we all think they'll be bad, but I agree with Kyle. That 20 to 25 pocket makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I think I was at uh, like a 26 on yeah. the uh, the preview. It, it's going to be like mid-20s right around there. I think the biggest thing is that there's just some nights where it's going to be hard to lose. Like, you look at teams like Atlanta and like Chicago, Orlando, like, who knows where it's all going to like uh, sort out by the end, but either team could like win any of these games just when it's just some bad teams up against each other. Like you, you never know which way it's going to go. And plus the, like the lottery odds, right. uh, Balancing out a little bit. Some teams aren't going to, you know, have the incentive to totally bottom out. So you're not going to stack up a couple wins against like, you know, Atlanta just going, I mean, they're going to be bad, but you know, the teams aren't going to have as much incentive to just throw it all away. Could there be a less watchable game on the first big slate of NBA action on Wednesday than Hawks-Knicks, like if you're not a fan of either of those two teams? You, you know, But you know how drastic my mindset has changed with all this losing that we've done for years and years and years now? Is like I, I actually looked at that game and got excited, and I was like, wow, we get Frank Nielakina and Trey Young. Like, that's that, true. That's exactly, that's exactly where my brain jumped to. And then I had the second thought of, wow, that's really sad that that's what you got excited about <laughs> to tip off the NBA season. Like that's supposed to be like a – like a thing in March after the season's lost and you're still trying to find excitement. And and here I am like, oh, yeah, that's a great opener. That's We've been conditioned. I just had. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it's a good point about considering the other teams in the league because we look at the standings and, you know, Tyler mentioned it already, but there are going to be some, some bad teams at the bottom of the East because I don't think Chicago is very good. And then Atlanta, mm-hmm. Orlando, Brooklyn. Now you can see some other teams drop down there. Charlotte's a team that I think people like this year, but you never know. They've had weird seasons where they just fall apart so what now let me phrase it like this is there any scenario in which you're upset by the number of games the Knicks win would it have to drop under 20 for you to be like okay that was a bad year I think I'd be more upset if they somehow won around like 30 or something and ended up around like you know like six or seven in the lottery that's that's a great point Kai what do you think I mean, honestly, I feel this like if they won, I, I think like if I had a hard number on, on losses where I'm like, all right, guys, that's that's fucking enough. It'd be, it'd be like it'd be like sub 15 wins. Like if you got to like 14, 15, I'd be like, guys, what the fuck are we doing here? None of these young guys we thought were going to be good or nearly as good as we would have hoped. Like at least if you hit that like sweet spot of like 24, 25. Then I could be like, well, generally in there, there's a couple of big games that they won for no particular reason other than their young guys went off or took a big stride. So, like, 15 would just be, like, pitiful sadness of just only edging out victories against other lottery teams, and I just could not do that. I think it would it would have to be, like, that year in Philly where it was, like, they didn't have a win until, like, well, like, or, like, January, or they had, like, a win until that. Like, when it was just, like, the process in full effect. This team can't be that bad, can they? I mean... It, it, it can't be 16 wins. I just don't think that's possible because even with – they even have some veterans. Like Ennis Kanter is going to win them a game or two with a crazy 2020 game. Tim Hardaway Jr. is going to have some games where he goes off and they manage to steal a win against some you know Eastern Conference team that they have to play. I, I think that if you had to to put a number on, on just what we should expect, the over-under is just too high, I think. So I think it's an easy mm-hmm. bet. For the under if you're putting money on it and I think that's why we've seen the number come down already but it would have to be significantly worse 
than what we expect for it to be truly a disappointment because we don't have any expectations currently in our brains about what we want from this team. Mm-hmm. I could see I was I brought this up a, a little bit in uh, one of my predictions. I don't even remember which one, but uh, towards the end of the season, I can see them uh, cacking on a couple extra wins if Chris Stapps wants to like just come back for a little bit, show people you know he still got it. Wants to uh, you know showcase some things for KD. Someone, you know, like reassure some uh, free agents that he's all right. And that's definitely a possibility. Like, that's something yeah. we should expect. And that's what we've advocated for, for KP to come back at the end of the year for a few games and kind of show what he can still do out there. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, as long as he's, you know, all right. <laughs> no, one, one other thing, too, about um, just the win totals in general is, at least for this team, I feel like um, because of the amount of young talent that they have, we as fans have totally overrated in general what they would do because like when we spoke about uh you know i've had a lot of conversations on twitter with our followers about what you'd expect and i got a lot a lot of uh tweets saying oh well they could win 30 32 easy fizzdale this fizzdale that so we always end up overrating our young guys when we really like them like everybody's super high on you know knox and robinson and frank mm-hmm. uh, now trier you could throw into that mix but then you have the other end of it where guys don't pay much attention to, you know, the young guys in the team and they're not or they're just not as high on them as we are. And then you get that's why, you know, a guy like Matt would say, well, like looking at this roster based on what I think about these guys, 18 wins. So usually it's a pretty big gap between what NBA folks think of a roster versus what the fans do, which is why <laughs> I felt really comfortable. I think we're all on the same page of like mid to low 20s is probably where they're going to fall like you got to like slow the hype down but but also the general nba guys don't pay as much attention as we do so like right in in there is that sweet spot Mm -hmm. 23 and 59 sounds good to me sign me up i'll sign on the dotted line right now i'll take it put my name there one other thing is we did uh atlantic division previews for the knicks and looked at their matchups with the other teams in the Atlantic Division. The top three seeds in the East could come from the Atlantic Division. So you're going to have the Knicks having to face these teams four times per team. So to me, that's an automatic at least 10 wins. Like, there's no way. The Knicks had that nice game last year where they beat the Celtics at the Garden. They, they've they had some good games against the Raptors last year. Remember, they had that crazy, crazy explosion in the third quarter. But... That's going to be tough, and you're already banking those wins. It, it just take them to the bank right now. Those those losses, I mean, that you're going to have already there baked into this schedule. And then you add on to that, playing on the West, which is always the worst part of the year when the Knicks go for a West Coast road trip in January, February, because sometimes we've seen over the past few years they have a record that we thought was a little better, and immediately when they go on that trip, they just fall apart. So we could see this year them have a record that we already expected and then go on that trip and just make it even worse and compound upon the just general struggle of the roster. And I I would trade like 10 wins for just beating Boston honestly once. And, I love the uh, sound of that. We could win, you know, win five games on the year, but if one of them is in Boston, I think I could be happy with that. And that could certainly happen. I mean, they had the game last year where Beasley went off and KP was just horrid from the floor. We've seen teams, especially the best teams at the end of a season, 
potentially just start to slack off, say, hey, you know, we got our seed in the bag, blah, blah, blah. So I wouldn't rule it out. It's always possible, but God, I, I, beating the Celtics is really great. I, I do love it. They make me sick. Absolutely and then we get sick. and then we can start with the fun uh, headlines again. Now that the Kyrie stuff has died down because he stifled it, and we'd be like, "Well, the Knicks just beat Boston in Boston. You know, pretty <laughs> impressive." Was Kyrie impressed with his future teammates? And then we get good clicks and content. Will Kyrie come to the Knicks because Tim Hardaway Jr. dropped the twenty-five spot? Makes you think. Those Makes are the kind of things we're looking for. Yeah. So, bottom line, at the end of the day, we're looking at a team that's going to be around that area in the, the 22 to 23. It's going to be a bad team. So I know there was some, I, I tweeted out this morning from the pod account that we were going to record this. And I, I was curious what people had for some bold predictions. We got a couple people saying that they can win 40 games and sneak in. We got a couple people saying that they'll, they'll be even worse than expected in all likelihood. These things always even themselves out and they'll end up being right where we think they are. I mean, th- like Tyler said, the worst part would be if they ever play better than expected but also you need to think about it like this too because if they end up winning more games than expected that probably means that someone like kevin knox was much better than we could have hoped for yeah i think that i think that's a great point though because we always get caught up in like just the numbers of trying to make sure we lose as many games as possible to get the the high fancy lottery pick that we like but we have so many young guys on this roster now that we should kind of hope that they do better than we expect for it's not like the Shane Larkin year where we're just like guys it's this is a dark year we just need to lose as many as we can like we need to get that pick like thankfully we got KP from it but like this is different to me like we have Knox that we're really really rooting for we have Frank that we're really rooting for Trier looks like he's a real NBA player that we're going to be pushing for most of the season it's like there's enough young guys here where it's like all right like we we have guys that we need to start hitting on now that are already in the stable like I'd like to see them take those strides versus hopefully taking another chance to get a guy who we're going to be rooting for in a similar manner next year. If the Knicks winning 30 games comes from the experience from the young guys, you're exactly right. And and we should take that all day, every day as a, as a potential option. Tyler, any parting thoughts about the Knicks this year? Any bold predictions? Uh, I mean, I predicted, I think uh, Mario's going to uh, show out a little bit. I think, uh, you know, getting him in our, out of Orlando is going to be good. And I just hope that it's not like him and Enos and Hardaway Jr. just, you know, racking up a few wins that we never should have got. And then, you know, Enos opts out again. Uh, Mario is uh, going to be a free agent either way. He leaves somewhere else or we overpay. I just, I like you guys, I think that young guys overachieving great i'll take as many wins as long as they look good but i would just hate to see it come down to you know just the veterans going nowhere just drag us out of the lottery out of the high lottery picks i think we all hope azonia plays better than he's shown in the preseason so i hope your prediction comes true yeah yeah that that hasn't looked great for me so far but that's all right that's what preseason's for and that's why it's a hot take now because (laughs) everyone's so down on him it's perfect all right tyler hey thanks for joining and, hey, uh, thanks yeah. for having me, guys. Bet the under, baby. Bet the under. <laughs> Hope to be back soon, guys. For sure. All right, we now welcome on TKW staffer Ty Jordan. Ty, do your thing. 
Hey, what's up? It's Ty, a.k.a. The Handsome Heckler, a.k.a. Half Man, Half Windsor, a.k.a. Majid Jordan, a.k.a. Tyrantula, b.k.a. Bumba Clout, a.k.a. Tyrannosaurus Chex. What's going on? You are by far my favorite person at this website. A.k.a. Uh, Gaseous Clay. I'm, I'm, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I should add that. Gaseous Clay. Is that yeah, that's I'll, 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 I'll allow it. Go ahead. Continue. Oh, yeah. All right. Okay. All right. Okay. Um... What's going on? Uh, we doing general predictions, right? <laughs> yeah, he's all flustered after the intro. He had the intro, nothing else planned. That's it. That's it. it it's <laughs> over, folks. It's that's it. You got you got your you got your fifteen seconds of time. <laughs> all right, Ty. Let, let's start out. What player on the roster are you most excited to watch this year? Um, I I have I'm not gonna lie. I like I'm I'm a stand. You know I'm a, I'm an Alonzo Trier disciple. Like, even though he didn't have the best game, that last preseason game, like, I still, like, I just love the story of it all. And Fizdale talked about this, how he's an underdog. He's had so much to overcome. I just love that. And I think he could do really well, even though he won't see all the minutes early on or whatever. But down the stretch, I believe he, you know, I like, one of my general predictions is that he's on the team as soon as the spot opens up. Like, this next spot that they got from waving, uh, Joe Kim, uh, Noah, the running joke, as I like to call him. Who? The, the running joke. Who is Joe Kim Noah? Oh, I, I, th- I think he used I, to be an NBA player. There was a, um, right. there was, there was a, there was a French tennis player, and apparently that's his son. <laughs> this is Joe Kim Noah player. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, so I think that spot is for Vonley because they're going to need him. Because he, if because I think Fizdale's idea of a modern offense is using Vonley as a center, which I think is a great idea to repurpose him um, as a player. Like I like to call him Fun Boris Dial, you know. I like so, that name a lot. Uh, Fun Boris Dial. Not as much as Iron Giant <laughs> right. for Mitchell Robinson, but it's close. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Iron Giant. Yeah, I'm gonna love using. Like I'm, we're making that a thing. Basketball oh, yeah. reference. Put that in there. All right, like. We need to put that to the nicknames. Um, but I'm really excited about him. Um, it'll probably be more towards the end of the season. But um, general predictions for for the rookies starting out. Um, I think Kevin Knox will average about 12 and five for the first month, maybe 10 and five, maybe even 10 and four, just to start out. Because I think it's going to be rough. He had a really rough preseason, but I think he can adjust. Like he talked about adjusting at Kentucky. Um, and it was rough, a rough first couple of months, but I think he can handle it. He'll grow. He's 19 years old. He's a natural athlete. As long as he stays focused, he has these guys around him. He has the staff around him. That's all about developing, all about getting better, all about proving that they belong there. And they're just going to push each other and lift each other up. So I think that's where Kevin Knox will be at the beginning of the year. I'm not sure where he'll end up. I don't want to make you know, rash predictions like that. Um, I say An- Ennis Cantor. I think he makes the all-star game because, okay. you know. You know what do you think it, I mean, wait, 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 wait. While you're still on it, what, what do you think he's going to average to get there? Uh, Ennis Cantor? I think he's yeah. going to do 20, 22, 22 and 12. Holy shit. 22 I, and 12. That's insane. No. What? Well, it, it sounds insane, but. I mean, I, I remember last pod, I, I said he was going to flirt with the 2010 territory. So, uh, and I, I told you wrong. Yeah, you did, which means you're going to be wrong again, as always. But Oh, we shall see. 
But hold on, let me explain. Let me explain. All right, let's all explain. Go for it. Okay. So the thing is, like, you guys expect Tim Hardaway Jr. to be the leading scorer, right? Like, it's, I mean, he's he's going to shoot. He's going to get the shots off. And Knox is going to get the shots off. But I think Cantor, he lost a lot of weight this summer. He's looks He looks really fit. Guy looks incredible. And he wants to add that three-point game, but that's that's not going to happen, let's be honest. He's no Kevin Love. But I think he's still going to be a bully inside. He's going to be drag, he's going to be like pulling down those offensive rebounds because they're going to be putting up more bricks than than you than we've seen in a couple than we've seen in a while. It's going to be a lot of bricks. I don't think Tim Hardaway Jr. is going to be you know the guy we need him to be. I think he's going to be the leading scorer on forty two percent shooting. Like again, I don't I don't see him being a good you know like the like the a good volume shooter i see him being a lesser kobe so he's basically what he was last year he just replicates yeah. last year's season this year that's basically what you expect from him exactly without without an injury maybe a better three-point shooting hopefully without you know injury maybe he finds a better rhythm but i think around the same maybe 44 percent, 45 percent shooting but still nothing amazing so I'm up because for that. he's just you know that's just how I, you know but i think ennis Cantor. We'll get up and down the floor. I think he's a little bit more mobile. He's a little bit more active. Like, he was killing it in preseason. And, yeah, it's just preseason. But, I mean, the guy can play. Let's be honest. The guy's 26 years old. He still isn't even at his prime. You know? He can definitely play. I, I just think that to say he's going to average that much is is a little crazy. Kai, what do you think about Ennis Cantor? Because what we talked about in the past, why don't you rehash it and present it to the folks? Yeah, I just think they said they're going to need some sort of low post offense. I mean, we they did a lot with KP last year, and KP's obviously going to be absent now. So I think even with, you know, Timmy presumably being the number one option on this team, I think even with adding Kevin Knox, who figures to be a pretty uh, decent, you know, have a decent role in this offense, I, I still think is going to be sort of a rock that they go to because of how efficient he is. So, I mean, I don't think Ty is as insane as you do because I – I'm on record as saying I think he's going to flirt with 2010. And and to me, I think the low end of that is he'd average like 17 and 10. I don't think KP going down and adding Knox means he's only going to average like two more points this season. I think and my, uh, you know, tinfoil hat conspiracy hunch is they're going to just let him kind of eat as much as he wants all year and then let him go sign somewhere else versus making it like a internal uh, debate. So I, I could absolutely see him averaging, you know, 20 and 20 and 10, 22 is probably high only because that's like, I mean, that's a really big jump from what he was averaging last year. And then that brings him into like actual elite scoring averages. But it, to me, 18, 20 is like the, the cap, I guess. I think he makes the all-star game with that too. I don't, I don't know if he does that only because of how bad they'll be. Like, yeah, that that's that's my only stipulation, because like guys like Horford get in. Obviously, he had a, a tremendous year as a whole, but it, it was the context of him being a really good defender. Also, uh, being a, a focal point on a, a a real contending team. And then his numbers weren't really that, you know, pretty in, in the sense of what an all stars numbers would be like a 13 and seven. So guys like that get in. So for, for winning and being good as a whole but i don't know if they're going to reward Cantor for getting in like i feel like if, if he did average like 22 and 12 they would let him in because those are outrageous numbers but it would have to be like really high for him 
to have a chance because it's going to be all I mean the fan votes are going to hammer it at that point if that was the case um, and then again this is the NBA folks like numbers even the coaches so if he's doing something like that then he has a legit case I think he it would be close but I, I don't know uh, we'll see you know it's just you know just the general prediction maybe you know maybe he doesn't but I could see it I think it's possible I definitely think it's possible right um yeah, uh, 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 you know what? Let, let's get a little hot takey. You know? All right, I'm ready, Ty. That's why we brought you on. Like, I think, uh, I think Frank. Okay, hear me out. I think Frank is, you know, he'll be in the all defense race. He won't be on an all. I'm pretty sure he won't be on an all defense team. But I think with Fizdale using him, like just seeing him in the last preseason game, just see seeing how versatile he can be as a defender was really. Cool, and it was really. I really liked how he could, you know, how he, you know, he like he had a a great amount of effort. And if he plays enough minutes, he's certainly yeah. in the discussion. That's the worry that he might not, especially in play all enough those minutes. spots, right? Too, because that showcases his defense on perimeter players, on maybe on forwards. So that he could definitely have a case too, you know, like just just because of versatility. We saw Dejounte Murray make the team last year playing, you know, 21 minutes a game. Oh, yeah. There's no reason why Frank, if he's playing 21 minutes a game, couldn't have that type of consideration. The issue is that the Knicks' defense in general is going to struggle, unlike, you know, the Spurs' defense is always going to be at least decent just because Popovich can instill a system. So he'd have to get attention. I think people around the league acknowledge how good of a defender Frank is, and if he gets those minutes, it's certainly certainly on the table. Yeah. Yeah, and and that's a – yeah – Definitely, but I, and I think he gets those minutes, whether it's at the point guard, the one or the two or the three. I mean, I don't know about all the four stuff they were talking about, but one through three, I think he can do it. I mean, if he gets his rebounding up a little bit, you know, because those numbers would need to improve too, because yep. you know that's just something they look at. Um, so that's that's where I'm at with Frank. Really liked what he did that last game. I was I was impressed. Wasn't impressed for the first four for the first four games. Not really, you know. Didn't see too much French post. I mean, I was excited for that, but it's cool. Um, another thing on these new guys on the rookies, I'd say you know all three of them. I wouldn't be surprised if all three of them make an all rookie team. Like, in, I would not be surprised. I mean, yeah, the draft was pretty deep this season, but. I mean, if you believe in Kevin Knox, you see him at least making second team. I believe in Trier wholeheartedly. Uh, he's a grown man playing against these, you know, who coming into class with all these 19, 20-year-olds. I really think he has a leg up on experience and just being – and just having an identity as a player that's going to aid him, even though he might not be on the – he won't be on the team immediately. Man, you're all in on Trier. You love Trier. You love Trier even more than Kyle does. Absolutely, yo, tree, yo, was like wow, the, the the ISO Zodiac killer. Like that's that, that's who he is. Thank thank you for saying the nickname because I was gonna prompt you to say it, so you <laughs> yeah. beat me to it. But no, I mean I I'm really high on Trier as well because I mean and, and I get I, I don't want to be lambasted with like you know points or all that matters like that bunch. But the point of basketball is to score, and if Trier is gonna be able to score pretty well or at least better than where he should be at this point, then that's very good because this is the entire point of basketball is to get guys who are better at scoring than the other team. So 
Trier, and I remember the the very first, you know, we talked about this on the pod, but the very first time I, I was watching the Trier highlights, I was like, I don't know how he went undrafted. Like, second round, totally undrafted. It seemed like he did too much well offensively. And then, you know, I dove into it from some stuff that Matt sent me, and, you know, he had PED issues and things like that. But even still, just skill-wise, like, we've seen it in the preseason games, and clearly there's something there. I mean, clearly he he has the requisite talent to be some sort of a scorer in this league. I'm not going to sit here and say he's going to be a 25 point per game guy at some point, but whatever his ceiling is, I don't know, but he, the, the kid can score. There's listen, always, listen. A, there's, there's always need for a uh, need for that. Listen. All right. Look, I'm not saying Trier will be rookie of the year, but I'm not, not saying, but, but I'm not saying, I'm not saying <laughs> he won't be in the MVP race either. Fair. <laughs> fair. I mean, that's certainly fair. hot, but fair. I'm just, I'm just saying, just saying something to consider. But no, but I really think he could, you know, like he has these skills already developed that, you know, we talk about Frank being so young and we're like, oh, he doesn't know what to do. He's still figuring out his role on offense. Trier's already got that. Like he's got that in the bag already. So Fizdale's job is to utilize him to the point where he can be a guard that can, that can, you know, he can do his ISO Zoe stuff. We can drive. He can, but he needs to pass a little more. You know, just to get his guys, you know, because his guys are going to be open because some teams are going to try to double team him. Teams will collapse into the paint to stop him from, you know, just ruining them. And I think I just really hope he doesn't like get some of the like him and Knox. Really, they don't get some of the like the Carmelo Anthony syndrome is what I like to call it, where you can't really trust your teammates to score on an open shot. You know what I mean? Yep. So you don't pass, and you get those bad, um, bad habits early on in their careers. You know, but it's a little different from like mellow. Yeah. Let Let's talk briefly because before we let you go, David Fisdale, what are we looking for this year from him? What do we want to see, and what kind of barometers for success should we have for his first year? Kai, what do you think? For who? Sorry. Uh, their Their head coach, Mr. David Fisdale. Honestly, I. A lot of what I want to see is just based off of kind of, I mean, it's things me and you have discussed in the pods, but the way that he sort of balances letting these young guys um, run free and then knows when to kind of reel it in. Like, we've seen him let Knox basically go out in the first half of games and just do what he wants to do. And then if Knox is fucking up or he's out of control, he reels it back in and goes, okay, we're going to run some sets now. Like, you had your chance, but we're. This is how I think, you know, we could put you in a position to be successful, and then he, he does that. So we have lambasted coaches for failing to make adjustments properly. You know, see us with Hornacek last year about running anything for KP other than dumping it to him on the elbow. So I, I really, for me, to call this a successful year is just kind of understanding his players, just really understanding and putting those guys in uh, a position to succeed. Like we have, you know, he even did it with Mario Hazonia last game. You know, Hazonia has been pitiful in this preseason. And then finally they stopped letting him just run free. And they're just like, all right, Mario, we're going to run some sets for you. And it's, they said, uh, I think his first jump shot came off a little, you know, pin down screen. Then he came up off two screens and hit a mid range jumper. And then after that, they started just kind of letting him maneuver after that. And it's like, Getting guys back on track, seeing those adjustments and then tweaking them quickly and then having your players buy in to do those things. Like to me, that's 
all that I really care about from Fisdale this year because we haven't seen that almost at all in the past. So that's pretty much it for me. Getting a general feel on the roster is key, and I think we've seen some trends it's the lo- in the it's preseason. It's the long game here. Right, it's of course. It's the long game. Of course. You know, hopefully we want him to be around longer than the two-and-a-half-year average or a year-and-a-half average every Knicks coach has. So it's basically you're starting from the ground up with these young guys. So really learning and, and taking the time to build, and there's no pressure, there's no rush, just tweaking slowly, meticulously, so that you know we have something to build off of going into next year and the year after. It's just little easy things. I'd love to just see them shoot more threes. I mentioned this with Hornacek because they weren't shooting enough eliminate some of those mid-range looks they've still been resorting to those in preseason so i'll be keeping an eye out for that i was i was gonna say real quick before we wrap this segment up did you see his um his quote about that when they asked him very directly yeah can you do you have it on do you have it on you yeah so they said um ian begley had a tweet that said the knicks entered play saturday ranked 28th in three-point attempts per game in the preseason so Fisdale was asked, does he want to take more threes? And Fisdale answered, I'd like to, but right now, the way we're shooting it, I don't think that's a great shot for us. So I, I don't buy that. I just don't think that's that should be the case. And that's also with Courtney Lee out. I just, do, do you think that that's a good strategy to have? Because we know teams that no, need to score the basketball, that's a little stressful. I mean, that's the kind of quote. I'm glad you brought that up because that's a little stressful to me. We, we, know, we know it's not a good strategy, but we also know that this team, even with you know, everybody fully healthy like Courtney Lee. Um, and at the very least, until Chris Stapps comes back, like there's just not a lot of shooting on this team. Like we have Lance, who's fine taking in his role, which is taking like one or two threes a game. And low he shoots volume. those at a high key. Low volume, right? So in high volume, I'm going to assume the efficiency is going to dip a little bit. Courtney Lee is a guy who probably should take four or five threes a night, but generally doesn't. But outside of that, I mean, Burke's not going to shoot a ton of threes. Timmy's going to shoot a ton, but he's not very efficient from out there. So it's like, what are we what are we going to do here? Like we haven't seen enough from Knox to be able to decide if he's going to hit from outside in the, at the NBA level consistently. So like, I get what Fisdale's saying. It just seems, and again, it's not going to sound sexy as everything else that he said has sounded all summer long, but um, it's, it's a stable of like misfits and young guys. So like just saying, yeah, yeah, we're going to start jacking up threes. I mean, he, he very easily could say it, but he's also got to try to play to the strengths of the roster to some degree. And, how he juggles it is going to be very interesting because we're all obviously salivating for more three-point shooting. So I we don't like to see it, but I don't know that it's going to happen this year. Yeah, I don't want them to go all Brooklyn Nets and just start chucking from three with a bunch of guys that aren't great. But they have enough guys on this roster that can shoot threes at a decent clip. Hazonia, Frank, Trey Burke, we had a great piece by Eli last week that was talking about why he needs to shoot more threes. Kevin Knox, Lance Thomas. Tim Hardaway, they have enough guys that can shoot it. So a quote like that is something to keep an eye on. But yep. it's going to be a bad team. So, Ty, any parting thoughts for us before we let you go? Um, Yeah, just one more thing about, like, uh, how we're going to, I guess, assess Fisdale's uh, performance. I think seeing how he uses um, Frank is going to be really important to you know, to under and that goes with understanding his team because he's such a versatile player, and we only seen him used in the rigidity of a, a point guard, shooting guard. But I think he can really unlock some of his like some of that raw potential and like use it constructively. The thing about three point shooting, you know, I'd love to see them take more threes, but it's just they're just not. 
Like, it's just not there. It really isn't. So I understand why he would be so apprehensive about, you know, just saying, hey, let's take threes. But I think if they focus more on ball movement, because the ball movement hasn't been great, when they run the floor, it's nice because they use their athleticism. But if they can, you know, get some get some sets, run some plays, like, at, like at least a three-man weave or something on the on the break or whatever, just to get some ball movement going, it'll definitely do a lot. A lot to you know get them some open shots, some open threes to you know, facilitate better three point shooting than they have in the past. It's kind of it's pretty easy to just take a step up from last year for sure. So I I think I, you know that's on him too. That's definitely on him too. But before we run out now, can I just give one last take on this segment? Go for it. The three point shooting will go as Frank Nilakina goes. If your point guard position starts shooting more threes, that opens up everything. When there's no threat of, of an outside yeah. shot from your, basically from the position you'd expect it, then everybody's going to close down on you and clamp down. Like we know Burke has said uh, in the media day press conference that he's looking to expand his game. We have yet to really see it, but he said he's looking to do that this season, right? But um, we don't really expect it. And we know Moutier isn't going to play much or hit from outside. We know Baker isn't going to play much or hit from outside. Um, so basically the only guy that we have any sort of stock in for being able to hit from outside is Frank. Cause we like his form. We think he's going to develop into a good shooter. So if he, he starts hit hitting them, the yeah, yeah, he can hit it from the corner, but I mean, I think he could hit it from, he hasn't proven it yet, but this is me and Matt's belief is that he has the form to hit it from wherever. And I just think if he starts drilling like two a game, maybe taking like, you know, one or two a game, but he's taken three or four regularly and really becomes sort of an outside threat, then things are going to start opening up. I just think that's really, like, the key to seeing what we want to see out of this offense. I love the sound of that. Give me more Frank threes. All right, Ty, thanks for coming on, buddy. All right, yeah, nice. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. All right, bye. Bye. All right, we now welcome on TKW staffer Harley Geffner. Harley, how we doing, buddy? What's up, guys? I'm good. I'm a, a new puppy owner. So that's some news. Can you yep, tell us about this dog before we get into the Knicks? What'd you say? Can you tell us about this dog before we get into the Knicks? Because you're you know how big a dog guy Kyle is, and we, we hear his dogs all the time on the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. So my roommate has this little Malshi poo, and um we were getting some work done on our apartment. So we had to give the dog to her mom while while we were gone. And um over that time her mom has a dog of the same breed. And said that she came home to them, you know, quote unquote, connected a few times. That's the literal word she used. She was like, yeah, occasionally connected. connected and I couldn't get them apart. So we thought she might be pregnant, but we weren't sure. And then two months went by and we didn't really feel much on her stomach. And then out popped two babies. No idea. So oh my God. I'm keeping them. <laughs> An unexpected pregnancy. Oh, that's Ooh. amazing. Well, have congrats. You, have, you, have you named it yet? Uh, Mamba. Oh, yeah. That's, that's a great yeah, name. Black one. Yeah. We haven't named the white one yet, but we might give it away, so we don't want to get too attached. Yeah, as soon as you give it a name, I feel like you can't give it away. It's too hard at that point. You've gone in too deep. (laughs) Yeah. All right, so from some young pups to some young pups on the Knicks. Kyle, how was that segment? Or how was that segue, I mean? Was that good? No. You you gave me credit last week. I I did. This was like a a C, C minus. I just... It felt, it felt forced. It wasn't you. Just continue. I, I don't want to talk about it anymore. You're right. You're right. That's that's my <laughs> fault. But you know what? I take it. All right. So let's talk about the rookies on the Knicks. And let's start with Mitchell Robinson because 
Harley, he's someone you've written about. You did our Biggs preview uh, a couple weeks ago. Talk about Robinson. Mm-hmm. I think you were the first one on the site to write a piece about Robinson way back when they drafted him. But for Robinson, we know how raw he is. Uh, there are varying degrees of expectations. I think Kyle and I are much more tempered than the masses on Robinson this year and understand we've heard Fisdale say that he's going to spend some time both with the big club and in the G League. So just in general, what are you looking for Mitchell Robinson this year? What do you think will define his success during his rookie campaign in the NBA? I mean, I think that it's going to be hard for him to get uh, much playing time if he can't get his fouling under control. And hopefully he can do that in the G League. Um, but I mean, I don't really envision him getting more than 15 minutes a night if he keeps up the foul rate he had in the summer league. I saw he had, what was it, 2.7 fouls in under 15 minutes a game. Yeah. Did the math? That's 6.7 fouls per 36. I mean, he really, he needs to learn when to jump, when to stand his ground. And, you know, he's going to have some amazing blocks this season. He is. And it's going to be awesome. He had 1.7 in the under 15 in summer league. That's 4.2 per 36. I'm really looking forward to those blocks, but I just don't think that he'll be able to stay on the floor long. I don't think he's going to average more than, you know, six points, four rebounds a game until, you know, if he's able to get that fouling uh, problem under control, I think he'll, he could get up to 20 minutes a night by the end of the season, but I'm not exactly counting on it. And we've seen those foul woes come to fruition in the preseason too. We've seen him struggle with fouling and he has had some just amazing blocks, especially on three-point shooters. I don't. I really don't know if I've seen a young guy with the, the length of this man contest three-point shots like he does. I don't know why people don't just pump fake because he would go flying past them. But whatever. Kyle, what do you think about Robinson this year? Well, first, they're going to start doing the pump fake at some point. Like, they're still gathering tape on this guy. I mean, he didn't play in college. Like, we don't know. Even teams don't really know what to expect. He took a year off to just do drills to get ready for the draft. So nobody has any clue what he's going to do on a regular basis. So I think once you see how aggressive he is trying to block, because he does have good instincts with that, they're going to start pumping and, and pumping hard, especially seeing, like you said, when he goes out to the three point line, but, um, pumping I, I and pumping hard, huh? Well, if, if you want to take it there, my friend, on, on this, this is, this is the Lord's day this <laughs> Sunday morning. How dare you? But, Not but, on the um, coffee pod. No. Oh, yeah. But without your coffee, you son of a bitch. Anyway. So, um, I don't really know what to expect from him because I don't know how long of a leash they're going to give him. Like, it seems like Fisdale is letting everybody just kind of run and run free, which is what we want. This is what you'd want in this type of season. But I still don't really know what we're going to get out of him. I don't know how much they're going to use him in the G League versus the rotation at the NBA level. I'm very... I'm very confused. It seems very like a it's like a very cloudy outlook for him because I can't quite I, I don't know. I, I feel like predictions for him are very difficult to be quite honest. I think he's going to be like a 10 to 15 minute guy in the ro- in the rotation. I, I feel pretty comfortable saying that. Right. And that's where he should be. That's the the exposure he should get and early on that's what we're going to see. He'll get some time in the G League when he comes to the NBA, he'll play. But that's a product of the Knicks roster. We, we've seen some stuff from Noah Vonley. He's a guy that might get some minutes this year. But with Robinson, his role is going to be pretty clearly defined, I think, and we shouldn't have any crazy expectations. One thing that Harley pointed out in his piece, and I, I'm glad he did because when you watch Robinson, it's the number one thing I think I notice aside from – that's on the more subtle side – is his inability or unwillingness to just set a screen like a normal human being because he his immediate reaction is – 
I want to slip to the rim and catch this lob. So, Harley, when we're talking about Robinson as as a pick-and-roll player, when you're watching and you see that kind of thing, what, what do you think that he has to do better to progress in that way? I mean, he just has to make contact with the guard trying to get around the screen. He slips the pick too early every single time. And even when he stays too long, it, it just it, when he, even when he does make contact, which is rare, he makes contact and then waits too long to go to the rim. He just needs to get his timing right on that, to be honest. Um, yeah, I saw him working on, in some drills, some drill videos of him like pick and popping. And I kind of like the idea of him just to mix it up and just, you know, get him turning, you know, more experience turning his shoulders after the pick. Yeah. I mean, he's good. He's a good, he's a good rim runner, right? Like he, he has good hands. He can catch the lob really well, but yeah, he seems a little bit too eager to start that in the first place. And sorry, just going back for a second, I wanted to point out something about the pump fake Um, in the Nets game, in the Nets game, uh, there was somebody who kicked the ball out to a three-point shooter, and Mitchell Robinson started running over. I forget who it was in the corner. Started running over, and he, and you know, he had that look in him that I was like, "Oh shit, he's gonna block the shit out of this." And he just kind of he he like leaned on his heels and didn't go for it, and the guy got off a clean shot. And I was like, I wonder if the coaches in practice were like, "People are gonna pump fake you. You're gonna fly by, stay down." Oh yeah, so I I, I thought he was gonna block this guy. And I was just wondering if the coaches said something to him about pump faking and if he was working on it. Because even after the guy got off the shot, I was like, that looked like it was a blockable shot for Mitch Robinson. Like, he was there in time to to do it, and he kind of didn't really contest the shot. So I wonder if it's going to make him passive or not to hear that too often from the coaches. Um, but either way, he's got to experiment with it all. He's essentially just like a, a wild animal at this point, right? Like an animal that's in the wild that they have to learn how to just teach him the basic things of basketball because he hasn't had experience in that way at all because he hasn't played organized. So for someone like him, we've seen some incredibly athletic players perform well in high school just because it lends themselves to being great rim protectors. So we saw Amari Stoudemire in high school be an elite defensive player and we know as well as anyone that that was never the case once he got to the NBA. So for the coaching staff, it's teaching him the minor lessons. To, so to see some restraint is good, but you also want to tap into that side of him that has come from just a place of, of sheer athleticism and just have some teach him some poise. That That's what the coaching staff is there for. But let's move on to our other rookie, the first-round pick, Kevin Knox. So, Kyle, why don't you kick us off because I know we've talked – a ton about Knox all summer. So let's boil this down. In terms of his production this season, what are you expecting from him? Uh, you want hard numbers? I want hard numbers. Um, I feel pretty comfortable saying he's going to average 13 and 5-ish rebounds, that is. on. Uh, he's probably not going to shoot well this year. I think his uh his three point percentage will probably be you know a, a little bit more efficient than his overall um, percentage because we know about his struggles going to the rim. So I feel like it's going to be like thirteen and five on like forty 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 one percent shooting from the field and like thirty four thirty five percent from deep. Like I, I just don't think he's going to be very efficient, but they're going to give him so many reps that he's going to score anyway. 
I mean, the preseason, the emphasis has been on running a lot of action for him or letting him initiate the action. So it seems like they're going to use this year to really, like, I, I guess, uh, groom him. Sorry, groom him to to be maybe the, the second option next to KP or, you know, groom him as a one option this year to, to some degree to kind of get his feet wet there. But I just think he's going to get so many reps under Fizdale, and especially in this offense. And um, just off of what we've seen from the preseason sample, the way that they try to run the action for him, that I think 13 is probably just reasonable off volume alone. And he struggled recently in the preseason, the last three games. Oh, he's he, had some... he the, the, no, no worse than the last game. Yeah, I mean, just with, just with the fouls. Because the thing is, Fazdale wants him to play aggressive, and that's great. But he plays almost too aggressive. Like he's trying to like jam the ball down your throat when he's running to the rim. And he, I think in the first five minutes of that game against Brooklyn the other night, he had three fouls, and two of them were offensive. And like it, it is great. Like we we want to see the aggression always. We always want to see that, as opposed to somebody being a, a passive or timid player. But um, you know, he's got to, he's got to learn how to adjust. I'm glad he's taking like big lumps right now in the preseason, to be honest with you. So this isn't like a regular re- reoccurring theme once the regular season hits, but I mean, man, I mean, it's, it's been bad. It's been a lot of turnovers before that. And then if not turnovers and efficiencies and fouls, so just not, not what you want. Yeah. It's Julius Randall syndrome watching him run people over. Yes. Oh, that's yes. exactly what it is. He seems to have responded well to the adversity, at least, Knox, and, and has said, you know, this is kind of what we expect. And Fisdale backed him up and said, this is what we want our young players to do. But I agree with Kyle. I think 13-5 and five on that efficiency makes sense. I think he'll be a little worse from three, despite my hopes that he'll end up becoming an above-average three-point shooter. But we've spent plenty of time talking about Knox. Harley, what do you think about Kevin Knox? Dude, I'm just excited to see how he's used this year, right? Like, I think he's best suited as a four, but I, you know, I want to see him setting back screens for Timmy and popping out to a three. I also want to see him, um, you know, running, running baseline, ping ponging back and forth, looking for an opening to pop out for three. I mean, I think, and you know, I think he's going to get a lot of leash handling the ball. Cause he said over the off season, he was working on his reads out of the pick and roll. Um, I think he's going to be a really good option on the weak side off the catch. If the point guard doesn't see anything in an initial read, like, right, I think most of his opportunities as a ball handler are going to come off of weak side action, and he'll have to be decisive and quick to attack the fact that there's only two guys on that side of the floor. Um, like Kyle, I think he's going to get a ton of reps this season. I think he could average, you know, close to 17, 18, if everything falls right for him, but that's obviously going to come in the face of efficiency, right? I think he's going to shoot, like, you know, maybe 40% from the from the field if he's averaging 17 points i think he can average 15 on 45 maybe i just think if he get he needs to get a left hand first i think it'll you know we saw him add a lot of things during the season at kentucky so i'm curious to see once the scouting report is out which you know it already seems like it is that he can't use his left and people load up is he gonna is he gonna develop a strong left and you know how much can he improve through the season where, what do you guys think he's going to do for rebounding? Because I'm more high on his rebounding than I think other people are, and I might just be off the recency bias of those first couple of ga- uh, preseason games with the double-doubles, but I that's why I put five. Do you think he's going to be over that, under that? Is that about right? Depends on what position he's playing and in what scenarios he's put into. Because you Assume, know, when assume primarily, uh, primarily the three. All right, well, if he's at the three, he's not going to do quite as much. And if he plays the majority of his minutes with Cantor, who just vacuums up rebounds— that's there's a little opportunity for him to not quite have as many, but 
you know, he could average seven. I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility. He's a strong rebounder. It's something he did perfectly well at college. It, it, it was not a weakness of his during his time at Kentucky. So I don't, I don't think we should be too worried about his rebounding. It's also about what a team's strategy is. And here's another thing to consider when you're talking about David Fisdale's offense. He likes to put the ball into his ball handler's hands as soon as possible. So sometimes you'll see Cantor just start running the floor if someone else is going to receive the basketball on a rebound. So we've seen Knox do that. We've seen Hazonia do that. We've seen Tim Hardaway Jr. do that. And some of the point guards too. So that's where you're looking at opportunities for Knox to develop his skills as a ball handler, develop rebounding, and just work in in transition too. So to, to your first point about the rebounding, I think we should expect it to be, if not a strength, just a completely usable point of his game so far. Harley, what do you think? Um, you know, I think a lot of the rebounds I watched him get in the in the preseason uh, were uncontested rebounds, and they were uncontested defensive rebounds that other people either boxed out for him or the team wasn't looking for an offensive board. I don't necessarily think he's like a ferocious rebounder. I think he was kind of just in the right place at the right time a lot of uh, oftentimes. And I actually, I actually really liked watching Cantor seed the defensive glass to Knox. So as soon as he grabs it, he can take off and get it out in transition, which is what Fizdale wants. Uh, I want to see more of other players boxing out for him to run in and crash the boards. But I don't think he was – nothing stood out to me about his rebounding as, you know, particularly novel. It seemed like most of the most of the boards he was getting were kind of like no one else was around or maybe not fight other teammates. But you see two teammates go up for it and Knox happens to be the guy who grabs it, you know? The Russell Westbrook special, you mean? Yeah. The uncontested rebound Russell Westbrook special. That's exactly what it is. All right. Harley, last question, because we talked about Knox Robinson, and we, we talked with Tyler Marco earlier. 27 and a half, that's the Knicks over-under. Over or under, what do you think? Oof. Oh, I'll give it the under. We all took the under. Spoiler. We all we all took the under, and we heard it before. But it's, it's so sad. Yeah. We need more optimistic Knicks fans on staff. Yeah, <laughs> we've had some uh, in the in the past kind of. I think a couple years ago we had some forty twos, and then of course that didn't come to fruition. But yeah, we're we're all expecting. We said like twenty two, twenty three wins is kind of what we we should be shooting for. So all right, Harley, thanks for joining. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys.